Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Amen. Well, beautiful song as we uh, kind of sit down in those words. And we think a little bit about how they apply to you and me and the journey we're on and this season of Lent that we've entered into. And so welcome to the season of Lent. Uh, we're making our way towards the great celebration of Easter. And, uh, and so just a couple of things as we kind of launch into this brand new series called A Time to Heal. And today, Specifically, we're talking about uh, healing our spirits, and I don't know what condition your spirit might be in, uh, but I think Peter is writing to a group of people who uh, might be going through some stuff and struggling a little with how they feel about the world, how their spirit is working, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. As we think about it, I want you to understand some things about the Lenten season, and uh, I think for us it matters a lot that we have a a pretty good grip on the history and why we even observe this season and what matters and what the priorities are and how it all fits together. Norman Tanner, in a great article called The Short History of Lent, gives us a lot of information. So, the Lenten season became an official season for the life of the church at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. So, uh, you can kind of trace the whole thing back to that. Up until that time, there had been an observation uh, into the Easter season that lasted three or four days, uh, what has been uh, now incorporated into the Lenten season as Holy Week. Uh, that had been sort of celebrated, but it wasn't until the Council of Nicaea 325 that the idea of Lent and the attachment of 40 days of preparation sort of came together. Uh, it was Article 5 of the uh, 21 Articles of the Council of Nicaea that established this process of Lent. And so some things about that become very significant to us. First of all, the 40 days, the 40 days was chosen because it, uh, it was a, 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 a commemorative, a memorial to the 40 days of temptation of Jesus in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. And so it felt appropriate to the church leaders to uh, install in the life of the church this, this time of preparation uh, for the celebration. It was intended to be a time of fasting and repentance, but also of joy and celebration. There was great anticipation. It wasn't supposed to be, uh, you know, sort of this somber and, and overwhelming season. It was supposed to be a time of preparation. And so a couple of things become very significant in that. First of all, uh, the fifth canon of the Council of Nicaea they, they described that they, they implored local churches to get together and to set aside any kind of pettiness or divisiveness that had gone on in that local fellowship so that they could enter into the celebration of the Lenten season and the Easter season, in an, and, and in their words, in an unblemished way. And I just think how powerfully real and true that should be of us. That, that we don't all agree or see everything or understand everything the same way, and we've been through this pandemic, and, and it feels like now it, it really wouldn't matter what you bring up. It's going to be controversial. People are going to take sides. We've, we, we've sort of lost the idea that we're all in this together, and we're, we're trying to figure it out. And, and so I, I think it would be honoring to God if we as a congregation and those that join us, if we just said, you know what, I, I'm going to pray, ask God 
to help me to set aside whatever divisiveness and pettiness and, and my own sense that my perspective is the correct one and other people aren't as smart as me or however that stuff plays out inside our own hearts and minds. Because it matters to us to come together as the body of Christ. It matters to us that we come together in, a, in, a, in a love and compassion for one another and, and grace and celebration in this kingdom of God. And then in addition to that idea uh, of this sort of setting aside of pettiness, the celebration of Lent is a celebration which unites the church in a very unique way. So because the Council of Nicaea happened in the, in the fourth century, long before the first schism in the church, it wasn't until the 11th or until the 10th century, 11th century, that we had the, the split between the Eastern church and the Western church, between Catholicism and, and Eastern Orthodoxy. And so the, the, the tradition of Lent predates all of the divisions in the church before the church started to divide. And here's what's fascinating about that. Through all of the process of division, whether it's the East-West schism uh, in the 11th century or whether it's the Reformation in the 16th century, uh, whatever the movement, Protestantism, Reform movement, whatever it all is, all of the movements have chosen to continue the celebration of Lent. In fact, they have continued to celebrate the fifth article of the Council of Nicaea largely in its integrity. And I just think that we are celebrating the unity of the body of Christ. And it's a reminder that what binds us together is so much greater than what divides us. And historically speaking, that's vividly true. And it ought to be true of us. The word itself that's translated Lent, when, when it appears in the Council of Nicaea articles, it it's actually just a word in Greek that means 40. It means the 40 days. But its roots go back into the Anglo-Saxon tradition, and the roots of the word mean something uniquely different. What it means is it means the lengthening of the days. So the Lenten season is reflective of the fact that we're entering into spring. In a few weeks, we'll spring forward. The days are getting longer. You know, we turned the corner on December 21st, and from that moment on, the there's more daylight and more daylight and more daylight. The days are lengthening. And it was the intention of those who have celebrated this season to take advantage of that imagery. That as the days lengthen and the sun does its work to bring about a rebirth of spring, we are lengthening our days, spiritually speaking. And I think that's powerful imagery. The imagery that as we lengthen our days, we're supposed to soak up the sun. We're, we're not really doing this work thing in which we're achieving a bunch of things. We're allowing the, the sun to shine more so that it brings about a transformation of life. And that imagery is supposed to carry over into our spiritual journey. Through this pandemic, we've been told that actually getting out in the sun is good for you. It actually heals parts of your body. It, it makes some changes in you. And it seems to me that what our church fathers and mothers were teaching us is they're teaching us that, that to sort of allow the Son of God to just kind of lengthen our days and, and, and shine into our hearts, that that's also very healing for us. So I hope you'll take that image. I hope you'll take that image into this Lenten season 
I hope you'll think about the unity. I, think you'll, I hope you'll think about setting aside the pettiness. I, I hope you'll enter into a season in which you just stretch out and you let the sun sort of shine on you and bring about this rebirth in you that is the natural process of what God intended and how He desired for us to work. And so we're celebrating this Lenten season. We're thinking about all of its implications. We're thinking about all that it stands for and all that it means and how it might change us as individuals and how it might change us as a congregation and as a community of faith and as the Christian church at large. It's a, it's a big vision and a big task, but that was the vision of the church fathers, that this season would transform the kingdom of God into a united body gathered around the Son of God who is healing us from the inside out. First Peter is a, a vivid letter. Uh, there's little doubt that it was written by Peter the Apostle. Uh, you can't find really any scholarly information that would suggest otherwise, and the dating is incredibly early. Uh, Peter self-identifies in the opening of the letter as the author of the letter, so that's a, a little bit of internal evidence. But going uh, way back, uh, by 185, Irenaeus was already confirming that the Apostle Peter, all the early church leaders, uh, Clement of Alexandra, Tertullian, Eusebius, all of them uh, credit this letter to Peter. So very early dating uh, and, uh, and greeting into Peter as the author of this letter. It was co-authored by Silvanus, and we know Silvanus uh, by his more common name, Silas. So when you uh, say Paul and Silas, you're talking about the same Silvanus, who here assists Peter in the writing of this letter. He assisted Paul on a number of his works and a number of his missionary journeys. And so that's where the letter's coming from. It's written to the pilgrims of the dispersion, could have been a lot of things about the pilgrims of the desertion, but, but when you get sort of down into the analysis of it all, Peter's probably using this term in a really broad sense. He's probably not talking about a specific incident, but all those who have been believers who are now scattered around the world. This letter is targeted to an area of what is modern-day Turkey. And so if you, if you just kind of got that in your head, it's the Christian pilgrims in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, but all of that's modern-day Turkey. And so he's focused on those churches, and he's sending it out. It's a, it's a general accepted idea that Peter died in Nero's persecution, and Nero died in 68 AD, so, so that's the end dating, and uh, we believe this letter was written before the official persecution of Nero, and so we're dating the letter somewhere around 63 or 64 A.D. And so into this group of dispersed pilgrims and into this sort of pre-persecution Roman Empire, uh, we're getting the idea that Peter is writing to say to folks, listen, how do you behave yourself in the face of great difficulty? How do you behave yourself when the days are uncertain? How do you behave yourself when you're starting to feel like things are getting to be a little bit rocky, when maybe the powers that be are, are making it harder to be a person of faith? How do you live in a time like that? How do you become steadfast in the face of that? How do you grow up? How do you mature? What's your responsibility as the holy nation of God? And so I suppose if you just 
summed it all up, Peter is writing a letter that is about conduct becoming the people of God. It's a very poetic letter. I think it has uh, great passages of power. And the opening is a doxology. In and of itself, it is a powerful piece of writing, and I believe it has these therapeutic qualities, meaning if you just let the words wash over you, if you just read them and you allow them to sink into your heart and into your mind and into your spirit, they have power to do healing things so that we lengthen ourselves. We allow the, not a bunch of effort, not a bunch of hyperactivity that we're so used to in our world, in our culture, and in our own personal lives, in our own minds, and in our own spirits. We're always analyzing and working and thinking and twisting and da 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 But we take a deep breath, and we let the words of Scripture and the Word of God wash over us. 1 Peter 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. Though for now, if for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed." Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him, and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when He predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into such things." So this powerful doxology to open the letter, and in it there's this tremendous summation. And I think when you read it, when you kind of get yourself open, as I've read it over and over, these words start to bubble to the top to me. They start to stand out to me, and I think they deserve some time and attention. New birth, inheritance, refinement, becoming refocused. Each of the concepts for Peter have something to do with the healing of our spirits. So think with me just a little bit about each one of those. Our spirits, he says, can be reborn. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, in His great mercy He's given us a new birth. Now the Greek view of the world was not a very optimistic thing. In fact, Sophocles wrote, not to be born at all, that is by far the best fortune. 
The second best is as soon as one is born, with all speed, to return to the place from which you've come. So to the Greeks, the world had become this place where everything faded and decayed and fell apart. It was hopeless. It was a consistent you were born, and from that time forward, you were dying. That's sort of the mentality that was a part of the culture and a part of the world. That along the way, there might be some things that are pleasant enough and distracting, and they kind of help us, but really, they're just distractions. And the reality is, it's a long descent to destruction. Not a great optimistic view of life and of the world. And with that said, I just want to stop and ask you this. How many of us, if we just analyzed it, share the same worldview? That, in fact, the world is falling apart, that it's on its way to some kind of destruction, that, that everything about life is a descent into less and less. I, I just want to tell you that is not the mentality of God's Word. While the Bible does not shy away from the reality that there is decay and aging and death and hardship and persecution, it does say that those are the things that are visual to us. While outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. Therefore, we don't fix our eyes on what is seen because what is seen is temporary, but on what is unseen because what is unseen is eternal. And I wonder how many of us would say, yeah, that's me. That's what happens to me. Because one of the reasons our spirits take such a beating is because we buy into what's going on around us. We buy into this mentality that everything is falling apart. That everything is, is descending into chaos and, and everything is threatening. And Peter's writing to people who in a very real way, their world is descending into some difficult things. And he says to them, but that's not our mentality. That's not what we think about. That's not what we focus on. That's not who we are. In fact, we are so different than that, that what we live with can only be described as a new birth. We died to that old stuff. We don't live like that anymore. We don't live in that place. We don't live in that mentality. We don't buy into that culture. That's not us. We don't traffic in it. It is so uniquely different for us because we have been given a new birth. Maybe you think the world is defined by persecution and imperfection and disappointment and failure, but you buried that old life. And you were resurrected into a life in the kingdom of God that never, ever fails and never, ever fades. We don't lay up treasure on earth because that's where things fall apart. We were born into a, we left that. We got born into a new place. And our spirits are renewed as we celebrate the rebirth. That's the invitation. It is about confessing our sins, and it is about receiving forgiveness. But for the apostles and for the biblical writers, it's much, much more. It's about the reality that, that God is inviting us into space where we have died to the old ways of thinking and the old ways of living and the old ways of participating in the culture. And we've been born into a place that's full of life and it's full of hope. And it's resurrection power. And it's what Peter says. You have been given a new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
You don't live like that anymore. The bottom line is not that you live and then you die. The bottom line is that you are born into this place of resurrected life, and you live like it, and you talk like it, and you act like it. Have you been reborn like that? Can you say, I've sort of laid all that other stuff down? I, I don't participate in that spirit. My spirit hurts. It hurts when I I live in its mentality of, the, of this destruction, but I, I want to believe in something else. Peter says, listen, you're just, you, it's a new birth. It, I can't describe it any other way. I don't even know how to say it any other way. You didn't change your mind. You got a new life. <laughs> the old life got buried and a new life got resurrected. And then this new life, we believe a whole different thing. Number two. He says that we can not only be reborn, but we can be refitted. That our spirits can be renewed and refitted with the knowledge that our rebirth, that the new life we live can't spoil or fade or perish. Uh, Verses 4 and 5. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So he says, listen, you, you, you not only had a rebirth, but you've also now been given this inheritance. And, and I chose the word refitted. That's a weird word. But here's why I chose it. You, you know, ships are refitted. Um, you know, airplanes are refitted. So if you just imagine this imagery... Uh, you know, the old shell is pulled into the dry dock, and there's nothing about it that's any good. I mean, all of it's worn out. Uh, you know, the, the, the instrumentation doesn't work. The navigational systems are shot and archaic. Uh, you know, the power plants don't work well. Everything's kind of, you know, the, the, the appointments, the cosmetics, everything's kind of needs to be. So they're going to refit the ship. They're going to they're gonna go in, and they're going to take the thing that was a shell and they're going to put new guts in it. They're going to put new heart in it and new spirit in it. They're going to give it an updated navigational system so that it knows where it's going and it has the, you know, it takes advantage of the guideposts and the guidelines and satellite imagery and all of the technology and, and this old derelict shell of an existence suddenly becomes refitted with all the insides of what is healthy and good and modern and takes advantage of the very best there can be. And it's, we've heard this imagery of inheritance for so long in relationship to our uh, life in Christ that it doesn't, I think it's lost its meaning. So when I say to somebody, oh man, you, you've received, an, you were born into a new birth, you have a new father, and in this new setup, you have a great inheritance. And I think Peter must have been tired of it too. Because as he says it, he, he takes it into a new space. He takes it into a space that his folks would have understood in a very vivid way. And so this is basically what he's saying. He's saying, you, you, you had this opportunity to die out of the old life that's miserable and, and, and cynical and sad and just waiting to die, and you've been born reborn. You've been changed in such a way that it's a rebirth. Everything's different. And you've received an inheritance, a refitting. The way you see the world in here they took that shell of a bean and they gutted out all the old junk and they put stuff in there 
that, that helped you navigate and see and understand, and, and it got you connected to a real source of direction, and you weren't wandering around anymore, and, and the old appointments were taken away, and, and new and better was put inside of you. That's your inheritance. This inheritance is this refitting. And then he says this, and you've been given an inheritance that cannot spoil or perish or fade. Now, I don't know what inheritance means to you, but imagine the people to whom he speaks. People who have lived through empires and governors and rulers who are autocratic and have absolute power over them. And they have spent lifetimes working for something only to see a new leader come and take it away. That all that they were planning and trying to build or change or or invest in or build their lives around or have some kind of security with had been taken away from them over and over and over and over and over and over and over. We don't live in a world like that. We don't even understand it. We, We think, you know, we buy our house and we put our money in our savings accounts and we pay for our cars and we hope we have enough and you know all the things that worry us would have been so completely foreign to those people but i think we do understand this we do understand that it feels like sometimes the things we have worked for the things that have mattered to us that they are so easily lost And so what Peter wants that group to know is he wants to say, no, listen, you've been reborn. And in that rebirth, you've been refitted. And in this refitting, where they took that shell of a human being and they they refitted us with good stuff that navigates us in new directions and in new ways. And by the way, every single act in this new kingdom of this new birth with this refitting can never be taken away. It's never wasted. Reminds me of the quote that Colton shared from N.T. Wright a few weeks ago. Listen, there is no act of love. There is no act of grace. There is no choice of kindness that is not an investment in the new kingdom because nothing can perish or fade or steal away. And I don't know about you, but when I listen to it, I, I start to think about this. I want my spirit to celebrate this rebirth. I don't live in that old place anymore. I hear it. And if I feed my heart in it and I feed my mind in it and I listen to the analysts on TV and I listen to the news and I listen to the politics, then my spirit starts to resonate with that instead of the fact that I don't live in that anymore. I am a pilgrim on my way somewhere and I am a citizen of the kingdom of God and I have been refitted for that purpose and that can't take this away. And if I let that take this away, I am doing a disservice to the kingdom of God, and to the power of God that is manifest in me. I am dumbing it down and selling it short and participating in a way that is not godly and it's not biblical. My spirit belongs to Jesus Christ. My spirit belongs to this kingdom that never fades This investment can't be taken away. It it can't not matter. It can't be sold short. Then he says, we are refined, that our spirits can be refined through hardship. And all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may be revealed. This is what we know. 
We know that the biblical mentality is this, that life is full of hardship, but in hardship, people become refined. They become, listen, the best people in the world have been through stuff. The best people in the world are those that have endured something. And and the Scripture just simply says, listen, hardship's not a judgment of God. Hardship's not this. It's not that. Here's what hardship is. Hardship is an opportunity for you and I to allow the pressure to sort of refine us, to get us going in such a way that, in fact, there's a scriptural idea that says every person's work will be tested by fire, and the things that don't matter will get burned up, and the things that do matter will get refined. And that you and I look at the world and we look at our lives and we look at the difficulty we're going through, and instead of seeing ourselves as being under the load, the victim of the things that are going on around us, we go, no, no, I have enjoyed a new birth. I don't live in that old system anymore. I live in this brand new life and this brand new kingdom, and the shell of a human has been refitted. I don't have the same brain I used to have. I don't have the same spirit I used to have. I don't have the same knowledge I used to have. I, I, I am different from the inside out. And, and what is happening in here is not subject to governments. It's not subject to trends. It's not subject to pandemics. It's not subject to any of that stuff. This cannot spoil. It cannot perish. It cannot fade away. And in that, then, I am invited into a place where I look at my life and I go, and you know what? This is uncomfortable, but God is pure. I want to get sweeter and sweeter and sweeter and sweeter and better and better and better. And listen, we know this. Hardship creates great character or it creates great bitterness and cynicism. Which one is it creating in you? Because one of them kills our spirit. And one of them builds our spirit, heals our spirit. No, nobody wants to go through hard times. Nobody wants to suffer. Nobody wants to have a difficult time. But how often are we bowing our heads and saying, God, what do I need to learn? How do you, what needs to get burned out of me? What's going on in me? I don't want to nurture my prejudices. I don't want to nurture my attitudes. I don't want to nurture my my narrow-mindedness. I want this hardship to refine me. I want to burn it away. I want to become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the process I'm in. I've been reborn. I've been refitted. And I am in this process now of being refined. Listen, are you getting better? I mean, would the people around you say, you know what? Every single day, that person just gets sweeter and kinder and more godly and more holy I don't know what's going on with them, but I like being around them. It's a safe place. It's a loving place. It's a warm place. They are the salt of the earth. They are the light of the world. They are ambassadors of reconciliation. It's like God himself is is making his appeal through them. Is that what people are saying? Because God consistently uses the circumstances of our lives to draw these Christ-like creatures out of this existence in which we live. Finally, Peter in this opening doxology says that our spirits are refocused so that we might be the body of Christ in this new reality. Concerning this salvation, the prophets spoke of the grace that was to come, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the spirits of Christ in them was pointing. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you 
when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even the angels look into some. They look long to look into these things. So what Peter then closes out by saying is this. So all of those folks who are hoping and wishing, you're living it. All of those prophets that were anticipating, they were look forward, they were leading up to this time, to this place, to this understanding, to this power, to this presence, to this mission, to these days. This is not the end of all times. This is the fulfillment of time. This is where we are. And for us to be preoccupied with the circumstances around us instead of the mission we're on is, is just a trick of the devil. It's just to distract us and go, hey, look over here. Just because you're, at, you're, just because you're living in the providential purposes of God, be distracted. Make believe that's the real thing and this is not because that's what happens to us. This day was prophesied. It was longed for. It was anticipated so that we might become the reborn, refitted, refined, and refocused body of Christ. So that we might not only be those who have experienced the power of rebirth and refitting and refinement, but we might be the ambassadors that carry that to our world. I would just ask you this question. How many of us out there today would say, I spend 90% of my time, 95, 80, trying to take care of myself, trying to fix me, rather than allowing this experience to happen to me, that I am reborn and refitted and refined, I allow my focus to continue to be all over the place. Instead of allowing my spirit to be healed so that I might then carry that healing into my own home and my own family, my own neighborhood, my own community, my own church. The, the, the writers talk about this over and over, though by now you should be teachers yourself. You're still children who have to be taught the elementary truths over and over again. Because why? Because we're preoccupied. Because our focus is in here. Our focus is trying to fix the world. It's not our job. We have been buried to that old life and reborn into a new life in a new kingdom. And what's been in here has been gutted. All the old junk's been taken out. The shell of human beings have been refitted with something that is better. It is the latest technology. It is the kingdom of heaven alive in us. And then how we see hardship is it refines us. It just makes us better and better and better and better and better and more joyous and better and then we get refocused because as my spirit heals, I am responsible to carry that healing everywhere I go, in every conversation, in every life, in every home, in every family. And so here we are in the Lenten season. I'm going to invite the band to come back up and we're going to sing in response in a moment that song that we led into the sermon with, Wasteland. And as we kind of get focused on that, I, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what it means to allow yourself to just stretch out and lengthen your days. What it would mean for you to just in, these, in this Lenten season to just say, listen, I recognize that I have been invited into a rebirth. 
And the Scripture still says it's pretty simple. When we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And, and maybe today we have some folks that need to say that prayer again. You know, my rebirth, I don't know that I got really reborn. I tried to sort of get my brain to think differently, but I don't know that I was really reborn. We can invite Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to give us that new birth. I don't want to live in that old world anymore. I don't want to live in that old mentality. I don't want to live with that old reality. I want to live in a brand new and in a fresh way. And then we, we work ourselves into this space in which we have some understanding and some reality that we have been refitted. They, they gutted the old shell of a human being and they, they made me different. I got an upgrade in all my systems, my brain, my heart, my spirit. It got an upgrade. And I'm going to quit seeing hardship as persecution. I'm going to start seeing it as refinement. God's creating something. And it can't spoil or fade or go away. I'm eternally being prepared. And I'm going to be refocused. It's not all about me. It's about what God wants to do in my journey in my life. Will you pray with me? God, would you help us, please? Would you search us? Perhaps we've been reborn into the citizenship of heaven, but we still live like citizens of today. Like we're preoccupied with issues that face the citizens of the United States or whatever country we find ourselves in or whatever state or whatever city we find ourselves in. Would you remind us that those are temporary things through which we pass? but we've been reborn into a different kingdom. Would you allow us to pull into the dry dock and would you pull out all the old junk and would you refit us for the kingdom? Better navigational system, a better brain, a better heart, a better spirit. Would you heal Would you allow us to see the hardship in our life, whatever that looks like in each of our lives, to refine us and make us whole? Would you remind us that we are on a mission? We are not here to perpetuate our own existence. We are not the protagonist of our own story. We are participants in the kingdom of God with a vision to redeem the world and every single human being in it. And not a single one is disposable not a single one is worthy of ridicule. Not a single one is worthy of disrespect. And would you remind us that it is our mission and purpose to be the kingdom of God alive on earth. Hear our response to your word as we sing these words together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.